It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Access Atlanta, your weekly look at what's fun, entertaining, and educational in and around Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Every week, we're here to help you get ready for the weekend and bring you conversations with some of the most interesting people in arts, culture, food, and entertainment. Let's get started with a couple of events that are happening around town this week. Atlanta is never far from the mind of Sean Marshall. After a childhood that featured near-constant moves around the Deep South, Marshall returned to the city and began playing music in her teen years. Her first bandmates asked her to name them ahead of their debut show at the Claremont Lounge. She spotted someone wearing a caterpillar hat and Cat Power was born. She began using the name on her own project after the group disbanded. So it's fitting that Marshall begins her once delayed 2022 tour at the Variety Playhouse on April 13th. She's supporting covers, her third covers album, 11th in total, which was released by Domino Records in January. Check out our interview with Marshall in the Living section in Saturday's Atlanta Journal-Constitution or check out the story on AJC.com. Farmers markets have become a common staple in communities throughout Metro Atlanta. Nearly four dozen farmers markets offer locally grown produce, prepared foods, specialty goods, chef demonstrations, live entertainment, and more. We've put together a helpful guide to what you need to know about the farmers markets in your area. Find a comprehensive list at AJC.com and see a selection of the top picks in this week's Go Guide in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on Friday, April 8th. Stay tuned for more events later in the podcast, and after the featured conversation, we'll take a look at what the AJC is bringing you this week, both online and in print. But first, we're going to hear from one of Georgia's most celebrated authors. Gathering Blossoms Under Fire, a 500-page digest of novelist Alice Walker's edited journals, is set to be published April 12th. It was edited by author, college professor, and former Atlanta Journal-Constitution editor Valerie Boyd, whose 2004 biography of Zora Neale Hurston, Wrapped in Rainbows, earned Walker's admiration and trust. They worked together for years. Then two months before Walker's journals were set to be published, Boyd died of pancreatic cancer, a disease she had been quietly fighting since 2018. Bo Emerson recently spoke with a Pulitzer Prize-winning author about the journals and about working with Boyd. Welcome, Bo. Thanks, Shane. So this is a, a pretty awesome thing to be able to talk to Alice Walker, I think. 
Oh, it was a lot of fun. She's, uh, I have to say, she's very approachable, easy to talk to, and you think, okay, this is going to be a fearsome uh, uh, person who will suffer fools un with no gladness, but she was uh, very relaxed, and, and, and in fact, had like a kerchief around her head, which I thought was kind of cute. You know, she was just, had just arrived at her farm in Mendocino, uh, California, up in Northern California, uh, where she grows all kinds of vegetables and flowers. And uh, it's what she talks about a lot in her, in her journals. And uh, clearly that's, that's the kind of person she is. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And of course, uh, you know, we have to mention Valerie Boyd, who, uh, you know, we knew and was just a, a wonderful person, uh, a great teacher, uh, someone I admired greatly and learned so much from. Uh, and, uh, you know, Alice Walker trusted her to do this, which is a pretty amazing thing. Uh, she did. And uh, you can tell that it was uh, a, a real blow uh, to her uh, to lose Valerie. I mean, as it was to, to a lot of us. Um, I, if uh, you remember Valerie as somebody who was just a very chill person, and you could imagine uh, how it would be a lot easier to work with somebody like that if you're trying to figure out what to say about your own life out in front of the whole world. And uh, the thing that I thought was uh, uh, the, the most telling moment uh, that uh, Alice Walker, she was describing how she trusted uh, Valerie. She said, I trusted her with, with, you know, with my journals, with my sentences. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that is the uh, that is the ultimate trust when you yeah. let somebody else look at your sentences and uh, yeah. and not mess them up. The um, uh, and so uh, and in fact, uh, this 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 happened before the book uh, uh, went to the printer. So um, there uh, there's a promise made at the end of the book. There's going to be a volume two. But I asked uh, Alice Walker about that. She said, well, I don't have Valerie. I don't know if I can do this without her. Right. Wow. Yeah, that that definitely speaks volumes about uh, the amount of trust she put in Valerie and and Valerie's talent. And uh, she was an amazing woman. It's true. And uh, uh, in fact, she uh, spoke uh, on stage with uh, Alice Walker when uh, uh, when uh, she came to Agnes Scott, I think back in 2017, uh, uh, for uh for a for an event there and she had a kind of a dialogue uh with her and uh you could see the the rapport between them and that was you know that was even before i think uh, uh or early on in their in, in the efforts they had been involved in and in trying to put the journals together right well is there anything else we should know before we uh, go into that conversation you had with alice walker well i think jump in i will say this though there um uh, there's, it's a 500 page book, but there's another 500 pages of journals that did not make it into the book. Uh, whether we'll ever see them or not is, uh, at least we're going to have to wait until the year 2040, which is when Alice Walker gave all of her journals, uh, to Emory University along with her other archives and said, don't open this, uh, until Christmas. And, uh, right. that's when, that's when they get opened. All right. Well, and we should also mention that uh, there is a story that you've written online, uh, as well as an excerpt, an exclusive excerpt that the AJC got from the journals 
they are already there so you can get a sneak peek of what's there before the publication date of April 12th. Oh, and I should also uh, mention there's a, uh, a virtual reading. Uh, uh, Walker's not going to come to Atlanta, but she will do uh, something online, one for uh, Karis Books and one for uh, the Georgia Museum of the Book. And I'll, I, I will put that information at the end of that story. Okay, terrific. So check there uh, and uh, find out when you can attend those virtual readings. Thanks so much, Bo. Sure enough, Shane. And now let's hear from Alice Walker. Alice Walker, thank you for taking time to talk to us about Gathering Blossoms Under Fire. We are delighted to have you in our company here. I'm happy to be there. And uh, we are uh, uh, talking about your journals which were edited by uh, a, a great friend of many people in Atlanta, Valerie Boyd, uh, who just passed away. And I wanted to ask you, uh, we, we all miss her, uh, but you probably had um, a bond with her that um, not many might have, uh, uh, might have had. And I just wonder what it was like working with her and then knowing that, that this was gonna come to an end. Uh, working with Valerie was one of the greatest adventures of my life. Uh, she was, as you know, very upfront, you know, always prepared. And if she wasn't prepared, she could get prepared. Uh, great conversationalist, great adventurer. Um, and when she died, I suffered. I, I felt her death in a way more sharply than I think I felt, you know, some deaths in my own family because we had grown very close and I trusted her uh, completely you know, with my journals, you know, with my thoughts, you know, with my sentences. Um, she was a perfect uh, editor uh, because she, had, she was very thoughtful. You know, she really consider every word uh, and losing her still feels not uh, very good. It feels, you know, the only saving grace is that I do believe that when people leave us, uh, it's better really than when they're really sick because when they leave us, uh, they're free. That is my belief in any case. So I can think of her in a, another realm being perfectly content. She had that capacity. She uh, had a, a vantage point into your life that um, I guess, hardly anybody else had had up until that time. Uh, looking over your journals, seeing uh, all, all your thoughts from when you were, what, a teenager. Teenager. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, oh. you, uh, you made the decision uh, to trust her. Uh, it seems to me, uh, I think you said in the past, uh, partly based on how well she did in her biography of Zora Neale Hurston. Absolutely. Uh, that was a challenging book to write uh, because there was so much controversy about what Zora was, who she was, what she did, where she went. <clears throat> and Valerie was just the person I felt uh, to, to, but I didn't know this until I read the book. Uh, but she turned out to be just the perfect person because she was intrepid. 
She was not dissuaded by other people's opinions. You know, she would consider people's thoughts, but she was not in any sense cowed by uh, negative assessment of Zora. Uh, she preferred to continue her research and to come up with her own thoughts. And this made her very dear to me because we, we want people uh, after we leave here and if we leave, you know, clouds of, you know, whatever, we would like people to strong enough to stand and, and disperse those clouds to the best of their ability so that people can see the gift that we were trying to deliver. And, and of course, uh, <clears throat> you uh, were a big fan of Zora Neale uh, Hurston. You uh, placed a, a, a marker on the grave that was uh, otherwise unmarked. Uh, yes, we shared that. We shared our love of Zora. We shared an appreciation for her spirit, her spunk, uh, her way of not ever feeling sorry for herself as a Black person. Uh, she had incredible uh, inner uh, respect, uh, not only for herself, but for uh, people of color in general. I mean, she loved our culture, which was one of the reasons she was not happy necessarily with the idea of integration, because she, she feared it would dilute our culture. And so, and so it has, you know, and, and this is something that we really need to consciously engage this discussion about what was gained and what was lost. So uh, the, the, um, when you look back over your own life as a result of going through these, uh, three, through these journals, um, did you discover anything about yourself you didn't know about yourself before? You always do, uh, I think. But the, the reason you keep a journal is to find out who you are as you unfold. You know, who are you really? Uh, and often, if you don't make some kind of record, you will forget how you, you know, crossed this river or that stream or, you know, climbed that mountain or fell down that hill. Uh, and so I'm constantly learning. I keep a journal to this day. And I do it partly, as I mentioned, you know, in the journal, because I don't have a great memory uh, for day-to-day -day things. I have a good memory for the novels I'm writing because you have to keep track of sometimes 10 characters. Uh, but I, I keep a journal partly because I want to have, as well as my novels, a record of what I'm actually thinking and, and how I'm living. Uh, and I love doing it. I mean, it is, it is just such a joy for me. The, um, I was, you, you mentioned this uh, when you were uh, speaking at Agnes Scott uh, a while ago, that, uh, that one of the things you discovered was that you did not like to be in debt. And I, and I see... Uh, you uh, uh, sort of tallying your various expenses and and uh, uh, and your and your and your various uh, incomes. Um, it's uh, some of those uh, uh, some of those notes are 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 really quite remarkable when you uh, you point out that um, uh, the the your your book about Grange uh, uh, Copeland sold seventy seven copies in hardback. <laughs> <laughs> Netting you sixty-two dollars. <laughs> that was uh, uh -huh. I couldn't I couldn't tell from the tone of that uh, entry whether that was pride or or uh, or what. But uh, well, it was a teaching. It was a teaching that you should have books in hardcover because you get practically nothing in books from books that are in softcover. 
I mean, unless you sell a million or, you know, big number. I mean, I later on, I would have that experience too. But at the time, I was being very realistic. I was selling my books on the street. And this is what I got. I think I took home, I don't know, $7, $8, something very small. Um, but yeah, I, be I believe indebtedness is the, is, the, is the greatest enslavement of human beings, um, you know, next to actual, you know, chattel slavery. But to be indebted uh, means a lack of freedom. And I detest it. I, I totally prefer to be free in every way possible. And that definitely means that I will always attempt never to be in debt. So th there is, uh, you're very candid about your relationships uh, with men and women uh, in the journal, and uh, uh, which is easy to do when you're writing uh, for yourself and a lot harder to do when you are going to publish that and let, uh, let other folks read it. Um, were there things that you did not want to include in uh, in Gathering Blossoms that uh, that didn't make it into the final cut as a result of just discretion rather than concision? Oh, discretion and and love of people and and understanding that some people um, would not want people other people to know certain things about them, uh, certain behaviors, whatever. Uh, and, and because I love them. I mean, I love the people still for the most part. Uh, it, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought about feelings and, uh, you know, druthers. Now, uh, on the other hand, it's hard to write uh, what you've written without hurting some people's feelings sometimes. I mean, you're, you're uh, Robert Allen, they swing from he's a wonderful person to I can't trust him. And, uh, uh, and, and, and a little bit uh, same way about Mel and about uh, Tracy Chapman. Did anybody say you've hurt my feelings as a result of seeing what you've written? Well, they haven't seen it yet. They might be very upset and who knows? I mean, I, I just, you know, stand by my um, belief that I'm writing about my life. And they were a part of it. And, you know, we have been through many struggles uh, together. I love them all. And I think that they have some positive feelings toward me. And they certainly understand by now who I am uh, in terms of how I feel about my own freedom. And as one of your um, uh, relatives said, you're not going to make a book about me. Um, you said, well, I can't. I can't operate under those circumstances. And I think you told her that as well. Well, I, I think Aunt Sally, I think I did. Uh, she probably would not have understood me. She always thought about writing as gossip. You know, she, she, I don't think she could see that writing has a larger function, that it has a medicinal function, that actually we write because we are, we are thinking about healing some of our wounds. And so even though you may say something about a person that's not you know, great, uh, often it means that other people can then see um, that, that they've been behaving in ways that are hurtful, not only often to themselves, but to the community. So uh, you're uh, waiting for the response from those whose lives intersected with yours. Are you, are you nervous at all about that? Not at all. 
I guess they knew what they were getting into if they had a relationship with Alice Walker, right? <laughs> well, uh, you know, there is a, an old story about that, but I can't remember all the characters. But the, the punchline is that uh, you, you knew what, what I was when you got in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know the story. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think it's one of our Southern teaching stories. <laughs> um, the the uh, I, I have to say that that the confidence is a, a continuing uh, element in uh, what you see when you when you uh, read these journals. And uh, I was thinking of the you handed uh, your friend Tilly Olson a copy of the Color Purple, and she had no no real things to say about it, at least nothing that much good to say about it. And uh, I think your response was, well, I like it. Mm -hmm. And uh, th that is uh, something I, ge I guess you always knew about yourself. But it's a uh, when you look back at your young self and say, how did I be? How was I so confident? I wonder if that was one of your reactions. I think suffering, I think suffering eventually uh, teaches us that we are just what we are. You know, and so, it, you know, if you uh, can't take that, uh, then that is your decision. But I am this way, just like anything else is how it is. You know, like, like I often use this, so I'm sorry if it's, you know, but, but you know, like any tree, I mean, you know, like any bush, like any flower, any weed, you know, I'm a this, you know, I am a this. And I, you know, feel perfectly thankful and content uh, with this, this that I am. Now, where people might have difficulty is if they expect something other than what I am. But that is not my real concern, really. I mean, I, the world is large, you know, humanity is vast. They can find, hopefully, that other thing that they really want, you know, instead of this Venus that I present. But I have to live this way. And uh, the, the, the ability to judge your own work and not be uh, swayed by other people's thoughts about your work, that's a difficult thing. Well, uh, swayed, not never to the point of changing it to suit them. I, I really don't, you know, I have to say, uh, never. Uh, I am, especially with purple, not with all of my books, I guess, in the same way, but with purple, uh, there was no way that I could uh, change anything without, you know, causing distress to the characters who needed to be who they were. I, I would never do that. They, they are who they are. Uh, and I feel chosen in a way to, to be trusted to fulfill this, you know, this journey to, to bring them to, to, to light and happy to do that for them. And of course, you've got a lot of criticism, especially people who said uh, you are presenting a, a, a caricature of black men that, that is a delight to the white racists that would... <laughs> That would like to see that caricature, uh, and, and, you know, burnished and, and uh, broadcast. Uh, and that uh, that you uh, you accepted that with equanimity. It didn't seem to stop you. Well, you have to 
you know, I'm laughing because most of those people had never, <clears throat> excuse me, most of those people had never read the book at all. <laughs> they had not even looked at the cover. So, you know, it was, it was stressful on a completely different level than most people assumed it would stress me. It stressed me because I had offered our collective community a tool with which to dissect the whole culture and study it, especially its religion, you know, and the fabrication of religion that had kept us enslaved. Uh, but the focus was so skewed uh, to basically putting me, attempting to put me in my place as someone with no right to critique the culture. Mm -hmm. That that was missed. So so it would take 40 or 50 years, well, 30 anyhow, for people to get to that conversation. Like this is really a conversation about our spiritual enslavement. And what do we do about that? And how do we break free? And here is someone who breaks free. And what does that look like? This is Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We'll continue with our chat with Alice Walker after a short break. But first, here's more of our list of things to do around Metro Atlanta. Considering the state of musical theater these days, on Broadway, and hence the regional scene, where nearly everything seems to be either the revival of an antiquated classic, some jukebox review, or the stage adaptation of a popular contemporary movie, it's a real credit to Roswell's Georgia Ensemble Theater that the company is taking a chance on an unknown, untested, and wholly original piece such as The Pretty Pants Bandit. All the more reason to rejoice is that the brand new show has been scripted and composed by a pair of seasoned Atlanta musical performers, Chase Peacock and Jessica DiMaria, who last appeared together pre-pandemic shutdown in Horizons Wonderful Once. Find out more about this ambitious new musical on AJC.com, where you'll find a preview from our partners at Arts ATL and a review from theater critic Bert Osborne. Make no mistake, Marietta-based duo The Waymores are not a country act. Kira Annalise and Willie Heath Neal, seasoned vets from the Atlanta scene, aren't acting or selling anything other than pure, heartfelt, honky-tonk Americana music. As Neal put it in an interview with Lee Valentine Smith, Acts are told what to sing, what to wear, who to be seen with. That's not us. That's not what we do. Find the rest of the interview with the duo, who will be performing at Smith's Old Bar on Friday, April 8th, online at AJC.com and in Thursday's Living section in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Now it's time for this week's adoptable pet from the folks at Lifeline, who run the Fulton and DeKalb shelters along with the Lifeline Community Animal Center. Zola is friendly, loves chasing toys, and of course, like all hungry young pups, enjoys treats. She's an affectionate two-year-old with a playful yet patient personality and knows how to sit and wait for the treats and pets she loves so much. Zola is 50 adorable pounds of love. Just in case you need a little more to go on than a pretty face, she is friendly and affectionate, loves chasing after toys, and is an ace at her sit and wait cues. She'll do anything for treats and a solid belly rub. But don't make her wait too long. You can meet Zola at DeKalb County Animal Services in Chambly and tell her that her days of waiting for her forever family are over. You'll find a photo of Zola on the story page for this podcast at AJC.com. Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. 
an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Access Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The facts matter now more than ever. Get unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution so you know what's really going on. And you're helping us fulfill our mission to bring you the news that's important to you. Subscribe today at subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to join the community for just 99 cents. Let's continue our conversation with Alice Walker. You know, you wrote something um, uh, that uh, I'm not going to be able to quote it uh, exactly, but it's uh, no matter how much in anger uh, I write about uh, black men. I never once let go of their hand. Well, obviously, I mean, I'm still holding on to my grandfather's hand. I mean, he's the demon that I was trying to exercise from, you know, the culture as someone admirable. The person that my grandfather was, and I adored him, you know, as a young man was a terrible person. Um, but I also needed to see how he got that way. And then I needed to see what was the possibility for transformation. Well, there was a great possibility and he took it. He took it in the novel. But for many of the people who never read the novel, they had no clue that that's, hap- that's what happened. So I didn't struggle very much over that. When I understood that I was being attacked by people who had no idea what they were attacking, um, you know, what could I do? I mean, my mother would say, pray, <clears throat> you know, just go somewhere and pray. <laughs> well, you do that too. You do that a lot in this book. So I, I, you know, I, with the way I prayed, but I, I, all I'm saying is that <clears throat> it was very painful in a way, but the pain was not what you thought. The pain wasn't that I was being attacked. Really, the pain was that I was being attacked by people who didn't understand that they were being offered a gift. You know, I um, one of the one of my favorite parts uh, of the book is when you begin sketching out the, the the characters and who they are and how they look and what they what they seem like in uh, in preparation for uh, the screenplay uh, when you're working with uh, Steven Spielberg um, because it gives a real sense of how you, uh, your artistic uh, process. And uh, in some ways that's, that is kind of hidden from us. Um, a lot of those uh, books come together off, off stage. You don't, we don't get to see them happen, but there you really, you can see how, how you've encountered these characters yourself and, um, um, the, uh, and, and, and how you describe them and explain them uh, to those who are gonna try to put together a movie about it. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I, I love that. I mean, I was looking at that this morning because I had forgotten that that was in there. Uh, but yeah, 40 years later, 40 years later. <laughs> uh, there I was flipping through through the book and thinking, oh yeah, well, I was I was trying to to describe and to to present uh, a very uh, holistic uh, experience for people to to find healing, you know, to find you know go grief way down in the suffering, way down in the confusion, way down in these terrible stories. You know, like my grandfather, you know, getting drunk and shooting at my grandmother and missing her only because he is drunk. You know, what do you do with this kind of grandfather that you also really love because you know him, not when he's doing that, but when he's almost 70 and he sits on the porch with you and he tells you stories and he shares watermelon and peanuts and whatever, you know, they grow. Um, and, and yet you, you know, you know that this earlier younger person in deep misery and, and, you know, pretty much an alcoholic was pretty crazy, but you love him. You know, there you are, you're eight years old, you, you, and he's, you know, on his way in the other direction. Uh, and you can't think of anybody you'd rather be sitting on the porch with. How does this happen? It's uh, uh, it, it's the the way you uh, the conclusion I think you came to was that I am my grandfather. Mm -hmm. Well, that we are very much alike, and that when you uh, one of the ways you can easily <clears throat> reach this place in yourself when you're coming up against one of your relatives, you know, much older than you. You hear all these tales that you can't even imagine, uh, but you, in your, you know, hopefully your wisdom, have the ability to imagine what the life would have felt like to you, that life that he had like 50 years ago, in the deep south, in his case, you know, a black man, you know, a sharecropper, uh, demoted from actually having some, some land during reconstruction, but losing it because they, you know, the white people basically take it away through terrorism. <clears throat> and then, you know, the woman you wanted to, you know, be with is not suitable because of, you know, all that stuff about color and, and background and all of that. So it really just requires, with any literature, it requires being thoughtful and letting the, the, the characters work on you uh, out of their own histories and not shutting yourself off from them uh, because you think the, the writer of the book has a hatchet. You know, that she's using her pen as a hatchet mm -hmm. to come after you. Stuff <laughs> <laughs> that you may or may not have done. Uh -huh. Well, and now uh, we are passing laws to uh, make it hard to talk about that in school. Uh, I wonder whether that um, is uh, discouraging for you. It isn't because I think, um, <clears throat> well, you know, it is of course, because it's, it's sad for us as, as you know, human beings. Um, but I can't let it discourage me too much because I think what we want in people uh, is the thirst to know. And the more they can see how rapidly 
many people are trying to push us back. I think this will help them develop that muscle that you really have to develop in order to hold on to what you know, what you've experienced, who your people were, what was happening in the history you know, of the country and the world. So it's hard to make me feel daunted, actually, because, you know, I, in my little shack, growing up, many little shacks, you know, we, the books we had were few and far between. And yet somehow we figured out, you know, that life wasn't supposed to be like that. Uh, I know that the, the age we live in now with so much virtual madness, many people will never know who they are but they have to learn, you know, what to trust and what to not trust and to grasp whatever medium, you know, books are, you know, whatever, uh, will permit them to have a whole self, you know, not a shadow. So there's a, there's a volume two that's going to happen. Is that correct? Oh, eventually, I suppose. But Valerie is not here. So I don't know if there will ever be another Valerie. And if there's not another Valerie or someone equal to, you know, her integrity and calm and grace. Uh, I may not go there. You know, uh, one of the things that she did that's very helpful to the reader is you, you there are so many people in your story and uh, even just all your siblings. Uh, and she is very, even to the point of uh, being redundant, she says, by the way, uh, Mamie is uh, her sister and A.W.'s sister. She reintroduces people so that you don't have to go backwards through the book and figure out, okay, let me see here. Who is Brenda? She was so fabulous. She's a wonderful editor. Now, uh, she ever say, I think we should leave this in. And you said, I think we should leave it out or vice versa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to... Um... Well, you know, the thing is, I, I, my journals are extensive. I mean, I, uh, I, um, so we looked at a thousand pages and it was just unwieldy. The book would have been very strange and heavy, you know, who wants to lug around all of that. Uh, so toward the end, there were places that she thought we could easily cut. And some I wanted to put back in for balance. You know, I mean, after being really hard, I felt on Robert, you know, a lot. I wanted to end with some of the times that we were so close and what our relationship had meant to us. Uh, I also wanted to uh, reinstate some of my teachings from my relationship with my mother. I mean, the dream in which I, I you know, was in, the, in my mother's house complaining because she had all these guests all around her and I wanted them to leave. And she explained to me that all these people, a lot of them old people were the people who actually in their own memories knew her when she was a child and when she was a teenager and when she got married and when she had her first child. And that was in her still in the minds of those people. And that was so shocking and wonderfully correcting to, to my, um, hostility toward them. Uh, so I wanted to put that in because I think we, we are like that, that we, we feel, we see our parents uh, sometimes surrounded by people that we don't know, but they are people that know our parents. They know, they know them from the time they were children. 
And that's very precious. And that was a dream, am I right? Oh, yeah. Um, I dream a lot. And also, you remember your dreams in great detail. Do you keep a pen right next to the bed? I don't. Because, no. I don't keep anything near anywhere. <laughs> no, here's my, here's my, th my thought about that. Uh, if it's powerful enough, the dream, you have time to get up and find the pen. <laughs> and if it's not powerful, you don't need to keep it. And I think that's true. I mean, I think, I think there's a truth to that. So uh, what's, what's next from Alice Walker? Uh, I'm planning a new, I just came back from Mexico where I started a new bed of uh, flowers and, and, and vegetables and really broke my heart to leave them before they get really big. So I'm going to reinstate um, that idea here in Mendocino with a, a, a garden that's round made with rocks. Um, I mean, the, the, you know, it will have rocks, big rocks too, because I, I just love that, that thought of rocks for a garden. And I'm going to start planting a lot of ginger in it because I've never grown ginger before. This is how I think, you know, I'm really very interested in what grows and how. And if while I'm doing that, I'm also constructing a novel or poem or something. It's wonderful. I mean, it feels very much uh, in sync with, with, you know, what I'm doing it with my hands and with my other part of my thought. And is there, a, is there a novel that you're constructing right now? I never talk about what I'm constructing. I never do. I mean, I think, I mean, I'll talk about constructing a garden, but not about my mind, because who knows what's going to be happening there. And if I try to talk to you about that, um, which I would never do, it may just say, well, you know, this is not fertile ground for, for this visitation. <laughs> Is that a matter of I don't want to uh, I don't want to jinx what my no what my head is coming up with not at all I mean I just think in general people talk too much <laughs> they do and and there's no need for it you know I mean I when it's ready I will present I don't even tell my editor I mean I stopped doing that decades ago uh, I will finish it and then I will mail it and if they have something to say about it they can write to me. But to actually try to talk about something before it's really done, it's a bad idea. You know, that made me think, too. The, these, these journals are awfully uh, perfect in terms of simply language and punctuation and, <laughs> and such. Um, did, you, uh, uh, did you freshen them up at all when you no, went back over them? No, you're saying how I write. Wow. Now I write that way because I also, well, I read a lot, but I also am a meditator. So there's very little that's extraneous. I mean, we, it's true, we chopped this in, you know, the book in half pretty much, but the stuff we cut out was also just what you, kind of what you have there because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not, um, you know, you self edit in other words. And the, the thought also occurred to me, did you expect uh, other folks to be reading this as you were writing it down? Uh, maybe years from now, not now. I mean, I, I think maybe years from now, but I didn't think much about that either. 
I was, you know, I think of writing partly as healing. It's a way to heal yourself. And it's a way to do self-analysis. And I, oh, and also I used to have really incredible menstrual cycles. And I used to feel like uh, I had to remember what that felt like so that I didn't have to go off over the edge, you know, next time. And if I wrote, I could see for myself how I was feeling and then I could, and maybe what caused it, why it was worse this time. So I I got in the habit of of self-healing through writing in that way. And uh, there are... There's a more uh, in the archives at uh, at Emory um, uh, in the, in the Rose uh, Library. Is that right? Well, yeah. The rest of the the journals that uh, Valerie transcribed, mm-hmm. uh, but then there are the journals that I have not let go of. I mean, I I haven't stopped. I mean, they're <laughs> they're here somewhere. But you know, I I just it's just something that I do and I love it. And I wouldn't do it if I didn't. I mean, it's such an incredible way to see yourself unfold and also how you connect with, you know, life and other people. Um, I'm very grateful that I, I do that. I mean, it's a gift to myself. So how's your handwriting? Is it better or worse than it was back then? Oh, my handwriting has always been dreadful. <laughs> I, I, you know, my sister, uh, both my sisters have beautiful handwriting, you know, beautiful handwriting. Mine is just a scratch, really. I mean, I can read it sometimes, but, and I was so happy that Valerie could read it. She read <laughs> it. She didn't, and she never even asked me, well, what is this? And what is that? She, she read it and I was just like, wow, she can actually read my handwriting. <laughs> well, uh, I am uh, delighted to get a chance to uh, speak with you and I appreciate you taking the, the time with us now. And uh, I don't know if uh, you have a plan to come to Atlanta um, uh, to talk about uh, your journals. Um, it doesn't sound like you want to leave Mendocino, nor would I if I was there. <laughs> I don't. No, if I'll be coming to Georgia, uh, that may happen. But, you know, with all the COVID and war and pestilence and craziness, it feels very sweet to be able to stay home. I love Zoom. I think it works fine. (laughs) Um, And I'm very happy to do this, you know, with you today. Well, I'm happy to be doing it. And I appreciate your time. And uh, take care of yourself. And uh, uh, thank you for this uh, thank you for these journals. They're, they're, uh, they're quite something. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. The AJC brings you the best of what's happening in and around Atlanta on AJC.com, along with deeper looks at trends in arts and entertainment and compelling looks at lost bits of history. Here's a taste of what you'll find there. Josh Bird was raised to be wary of visiting Forsyth County. His ancestors were among the black residents violently forced out of Forsyth in September 1912 following the brutal rape and death of an 18-year-old white woman named May Crow, which led to a legacy of wounded race relations that has only recently begun to heal. Bird's family sentiment was always, don't go to Forsyth, the 38-year-old Roswell native said, or if you have to go, leave before sundown. Bird did the opposite. He moved to Forsyth in 2018. Forsyth is changing from what it used to be. In recent years, the county that lies to the north of Fulton and Gwinnett counties has begun to confront its past and today there are tangible steps taking place. 
Read more about how the county is reconciling with its past in the Sunday, April 10th, Sunday Living and Arts section in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, or read the story online at AJC.com. Like everyone else, retired Emory University professor Franz Duvall was housebound for 18 months during the pandemic. Unlike the rest of us, he used that opportunity to write a book, Different, Gender Through the Eyes of a Primatologist, covering what the scientific study of both humans and primates tells us about sexual identity and diversity, empathy, violence, friendship, and more. Read our interview with the esteemed primatologist about his new book in Sunday's Living and Arts section in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. If you're listening to this podcast on AJC.com, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin, and I'm your host and the AJC's arts and entertainment editor, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Ocean Breeze, Tropical Beach, Pina Colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.